I think we could almost give an invitation after that song simply by asking this question, are we really full of him? Or are there other things that even throughout today we have found ourselves pursuing, going after, seeking after? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity that we've had tonight to be able to worship you through song. We thank you for the truths that we have been able to sing as a congregation. Thank you for the truths that are presented in the songs through the special music. But I pray that we would find our satisfaction in you and in you alone. But I pray that areas of our lives where we are lacking, that we would ask you, that we would permit you to take residence in every area of those lives, control of it, that we might truly be full of thee. Father, I pray for your help tonight as we take a look into the scriptures. I ask that you would guard my thoughts and my tongue. Pray that you'd be honored, pleased. I ask that you'd receive the glory for what you want to accomplish, and I pray that you would help each of us tonight from uh, the youngest to the oldest, to the newest student here, uh, to the one who has been here the longest. Father, I pray that you would help each of us Father, that we would have a desire to learn truths from your word tonight. And Father, I ask that we would have an attentive, submissive, and responsive heart towards your word tonight. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, our wonderful Savior. Amen. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles tonight. I'm going to ask you to open them to the Gospel of Mark, please. Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Several years ago, after we were traveling in evangelism for just a few years... Uh, someone came and presented me the idea of an opportunity to be able to have an evangelistic outreach activity. And so uh, I began to pray about it, we began to talk about it, we began to consider, and and, uh, it wasn't just a few months later that we began to start an outreach opportunity through our ministry that we call the Mud Monster Miler. It's an obstacle course run that we use, and we take the obstacles, and we take them to churches. We set them up, and uh, we invite people from the community, surrounding areas to come, and uh, they are able to come and participate in this obstacle course run, and the whole purpose of it is to be able to present people who would never darken the doorstep of a church, but they'd be willing to come and participate in this run, and we want to be able to present them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, for many of these mud runs or obstacle course runs that we do, they're a little bit different. Some of you may have heard of things like a Spartan run or an obstacle course run or a, uh, a Tough mutter kind of run, something like that. And, and uh, we have used that as an opportunity to be able to share the gospel with people. And there's a little motto that goes along with it, and the little slogan or motto that goes along with it is this, we dare you to run it. The reason why we dare you to run it is because if you've been to some of those Spartan runs and, and mud runs, and I'm not trying to put them down at all, okay, but, but uh, they, they go through and they take the time to manicure the dirt, you know, to make sure that they get all of the rocks out of it and, you know, all of those kind of things. And, uh, you know, they have these pretty elaborate obstacles, and our goal is not to keep up with them in the obstacles, but we really want to challenge people as they come to these obstacle course runs, and uh, we want to be able to present them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, uh, Uh, Normally, as we present those and we put them out, we end a little bit of a blurb that we do about it with this. We just simply say this, we dare you to run it. Well, tonight, if I could, I am going to offer you a little bit of a different kind of a dare that comes from a passage of Scripture that we're going to be looking at tonight. 
Here in Mark chapter 8, it says this, and when he, he's talking about uh, that he is in reference to Jesus Christ, says, when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his, of his Father with the holy angels. So we take a look into this passage of Scripture tonight. I'm going to start by giving you a statement, and I just want you to think that if this statement was issued to you in a quiz, would you mark it as true or false? Don't answer it out loud. I don't want you to raise your hand. I just want you to kind of think, how would you circle that? Would you put down a T or an F if there was a blank there? Here's the phrase I want you to consider, and it is this. Whether you realize it or not, you are a disciple. How would you answer that question? Would you answer that question as true or false? If this statement is true, then I would begin to ask you this question, to whom or to what can people become disciples? You see, as we go throughout our lives, there are a lot of different people, a lot of different things that begin to speak into our lives. And whether we realize it or not, young person, I have come to this conclusion. I believe that that statement is true. Every one of us, we are a disciple of someone or something. The question is tonight, of who or of what are you a disciple so we come to this passage of Scripture, Jesus Christ is, has a massive following who is beginning to you know, follow him, his popularity, it is getting huge, and, and he is going to take a look, it says that he draws the disciples and the crowd who is around him, and he's going to do something that no other teacher at that time, and I'll be real honest with you, I don't think there's a lot of teachers who would be willing to do this today, he's going to look at them and he is going to, can I put it to you this way, dare them to consider whether they would be a genuine disciple or follower of Jesus Christ. I've entitled the message simply tonight, Disciplines of a Disciple. And what I want us to do tonight is I don't want us to look at anybody else in the room tonight. I don't want you to look at your friends sitting next to you, in front of you, behind you, wherever they may be. I don't want you to be looking at your teachers. I don't want us as adults to be looking at you. I want us to begin to look into the mirror and ask ourselves this question. Am I willing to accept... Am I willing to entertain the thought of the challenge of being a genuine disciple of Jesus Christ? Well, if you are, it's important for us to understand what the disciplines are of a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so here, in this passage of Scripture, as we look at it, Jesus Christ shares with us, as he goes through this verse, and we're going to be looking simply at verse 34, he is going to be sharing with us the disciplines of a disciple of Jesus Christ. First of all, I want us to notice in verse 34, he shares with us what I call the choice. He says this in verse 34, he says, "...whosoever will come after me." And as you read that passage of Scripture, the, the idea of that somewhat gets lost in the translation. You could also interpret it this way, "...if anyone desires after me to come." 
If anyone is going to make the choice to follow after me, if anybody's going to express the desire that they want to follow me, to be a genuine disciple of me, they're going to have to make that choice. And what we're going to find out as we continue to go through this passage of Scripture is Jesus wants us to understand this is not a flippant choice. This is a serious decision. We'll talk about that a little bit more, but I want you to notice in this passage of Scripture as well, not only is this a serious decision, but I want you to recognize that this is a segregating decision. Segregation is not a popular term today. But you want to know something? If we're going to choose to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, there is a segregation that is going to have to take place because those who would choose to follow Jesus Christ and be a disciple of Jesus Christ are going to have to deliberately, by choice, refuse to follow those who would go against Jesus Christ. You know, this is not a new thing that Jesus Christ is issuing where He's giving people a choice as to who they are going to follow. In fact, you go back to Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15, and Joshua, as an older man, stands before the congregation of the people of Israel, and he issues this phrase. He says, "'Choose you this day whom ye will serve.'" And he boldly makes this decision at the end of that verse, this declaration, "'As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord.'" And young person, I want you to understand that at the beginning of this semester, that, that if you are going to choose to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you even here on this campus, you at your workplace, wherever you may be, you involved in the sports program, you involved in some other sort of extracurricular activity, if you are going to choose to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, there is going to be some segregation that is going to take place. Segregation that is not based on feelings or whims, it's going to be based on the truths of Scripture that will identify us as someone who is seeking to live in obedience to God. So here in this passage of Scripture, Jesus has this large congregation around Him, and He gives a very sobering statement. He says, all right, you're here. Some of you are following me because you've heard about the miracles. Some of you are following me because you've seen the miracles. Some of you are following me because you were fed through miracles. I'm not looking for fair-weather fans. I'm looking for disciples. And so if you would really make that choice to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you have the desire to after me to come, he says, to follow me, you must make the choice. But realize this is a serious choice, and it's a segregating choice. Elsewhere, Jesus Christ would make this statement in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. He says, no man can serve two masters. And at the end of that verse, he says this, ye cannot serve God and mammon. Listen, it is impossible for us, if we're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and to also be a disciple of someone who is going against God. James chapter 4 and verse 4, James says this, he says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whosoever would be the friend of the world is the enemy of God. And listen, there are people who are out there who are trying to make you disciples of them rather than disciples of the truth of God's word. And you're going to have to make a deliberate choice to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So I would ask us to consider tonight, myself, as well as you, what are our choices revealing about who is discipling us? Consider the choices, the language that we use. 
Are we using language that, as the, the psalmist writes, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer? Have we become such a product of our society that we allow corrupt communication to proceed out of our mouths and not things that are good to the use of edifying? Do we allow cutting and damaging words to come out of our mouths to friends and to even those who are unsaved? And as a result, it diminishes our opportunities to be able to be a witness to them. Have we allowed our thinking to become so corrupted that instead of having the mind of Christ and being someone who is humble and being a servant, that we expect people to serve us? You see, if we're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, it is going to make, or it's going to cause us to make a serious choice. And the choices that we make, believe it or not, are going to determine or reveal who we are following, who we are a disciple, or the disciple of. And so as we consider the disciplines of a disciple tonight, we have to first of all ask ourselves, am I making the right choice of who I'm going to be discipled by? Am I going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Now, you have people around you here in this room who are encouraging you, as the Apostle Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And you know, there are people who are trying to pour themselves, who have poured themselves into your lives, and they are not asking you to follow them. The whole point of their life is that they want to be able to share with you truths from God's Word so that you can be a disciple of Jesus Christ. They're not trying to reproduce themselves. They're trying to reproduce disciples of Jesus Christ. And so are you willing to make the choice to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? We see in this passage of Scripture that Jesus Christ issues for them a choice, but after that choice is made, then Jesus Christ gives to them a pretty sobering charge. Notice what he says in that passage of Scripture. He says, "...whosoever will come after me, whosoever after me desires to come..." Notice what he says. He says, let him deny himself. That word deny carries a, a strong picture of separation. It's really the idea of disowning someone. There's no longer an association with, no longer on the same side. There is a disowning of it. There is the, the declining of a relationship. There's declining of control of and control over whatever is being denied and so Jesus Christ is issuing a very stern charge here when he looks at this group of people and he says, you know, if you're going to make that choice, that sobering, serious, and segregating choice, realize this, you are going to have to deny some things. Well, what does he say that we're going to have to deny? He says in this verse that we have to deny himself. We have to deny ourselves. This is not an easy thing to do. Because we have to be willing to look at ourselves, and we don't like other people to tell us no, let alone tell ourselves no. Because our natural tendency is that we want to go our own way. We want to please ourselves. And here, Jesus Christ is going to issue this as a charge right out in front. You want to know something? Some of you, you're following me here because you were healed or you heard about the healings, and you're hoping that if something happens to you, I'll be able to bail you out. You get hungry, I'll be able to do another miracle and be able to give you some food. You want to know something? You're going to have to be willing to deny yourself. Can you imagine the disciples at this point in time? They would have been like, hey, what are you doing? 
Look at this great crowd that's here. You, you keep talking like this. You know who's going to be here? Just us. And that's exactly the point. Jesus Christ, as he is issuing this statement, he is issuing to them that this is a very sobering, serious choice. And he says, listen, just so you know, I'm going to be up front with you. This is going to require a disowning of yourself. There are some popular movements that take place different times where we kind of trivialize this whole idea of self-denial. We get critical of other religions who do this, and yet we've kind of adopted this, and some circles uh, have adopted this. Maybe I shouldn't say we, but some circles have adopted this, where, where we go into these times of denying ourselves. Other religions, they'll deny themselves, you know, whether it's meat or, or something like that. They'll deny themselves that opportunity and privilege for a while. And they'll either binge and gorge on it before or binge and gorge at the end. But hey, we denied ourselves. And there are Christians who they kind of pat themselves on the back or they will pat others on the back because they have denied themselves something for 30 days. And maybe you've done that, and I'm not trying to be critical of that at all. If that's a choice or decision that you've made at some point in time, let me help you understand something. That kind of temporary self-denial is not what Jesus is talking about. And so when people come and they say, oh, I'm going to have a 30-day you know, purge or a 30-day you know, separation from my cell phone, or I'm not going to be on Facebook or the internet or social media for 30 days, I'm really sacrificing for God and I'm going to be a disciple of God and deny myself that pleasure for a period of time, that's trivializing what Jesus Christ is saying here. This is not a decision for a short period of time. This is a lifestyle of self-denial. This is a lifestyle of disowning my desires for Christ's desires. This is a lifestyle of exchanging things from my purpose to Christ's purpose. This is a charge that says this, you must be willing to give up your own way of life if we are going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We could sum it up in these statements. He leads, I follow. He commands, I obey. He's my shepherd, I'm his sheep. He is the potter, I am the clay. His character trumps my comfort. I'm willing to resign my happiness for his holiness. That's self-denial. Christ Gives this, uh, Christ gives us a masterful example of this in, in this regard in Luke chapter 22 and verse 42. As he is there in the garden, his disciples are sleeping and he's praying to his father. Jesus Christ exemplifies this all throughout his life and it comes to a, a picture that is a masterpiece here in the garden. As Jesus Christ is praying to his father, he's asking, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, and this is where the self-denial comes in, the dying to self, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. So there is a call for self-denial, and Jesus Christ just doesn't explain it, he exemplifies it. Peter, or excuse me, Paul calls our attention back to this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and 8, when he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant. 
Jesus Christ sets this masterful example of what it means to be someone who is going to deny himself. He wasn't calling us to do something that he wasn't willing to do himself. But if we're going to be willing to follow God, we're going to be willing to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, then we must be willing to deny ourselves. Now, that is not something that is common. In fact, it's not something that's just a common way of thinking in our society There's some dangerous dogmas that are being taught in our churches today that you need to be aware of. And that there are people, young people, older people alike, who are accepting these dangerous teachings. And they fly in the face of this idea of self-denial. One of them is something that I call the theology of self. Self Self-esteem. Self-image. Self-love. If only we love ourselves more, boy, we would make ourselves better people. Unfortunately, I see nothing like that in the Scriptures. I do see that we're supposed to have a love for God. When a man came and asked Jesus Christ and said, what is the greatest commandment? You know what he said? He said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God. You know what a lot of people would say today? Oh, you just love yourself a little bit more and things will get better. No, no. You love God. Have a growing love for God, a passionate love for God. Don't accept that thinking and the false philosophy and theology of self. Here's another one, the theology of rights. Well, I'm entitled to have this. I deserve. Can I tell you what I deserve? According to the Scriptures, what I deserve is I deserve eternal separation from God in a place called hell. That's what I deserve. Because the wages of my sin is death. Death is separation. Eternal separation from God. That's what I deserve as a sinner. And so if I come to God or I go to anyone else and I say, I just want what I deserve, when I get that, I'm going to really want to change my mind. But God in His grace doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us His love. He grants us forgiveness through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, His death, burial, His resurrection. Young person, can I encourage you, don't ever demand from God what you deserve. Because what we deserve is eternal punishment and separation from Him. And it's only by grace that we're saved through faith. And that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Understand that we do not have and must not accept the theology of self, the theology of rights, or even the theology of feelings. Well, I just feel, or my feelings, or I sense. God has given us the truth. John chapter 17, verse 17, Jesus Christ says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So if we are going to be a genuine disciple of Jesus Christ, it's not about my self-esteem. It's not about my entitlement. It's not about how I feel. All of those things have to be denied and disowned, and I need to be willing to come, and we need to be willing to look at Jesus Christ and see him as the discipler. Make that choice to follow him, and in making that choice to follow him, we must disown ourselves. That's the charge. Thirdly, we go on in this verse, and we go on to the next phrase. He says, if any man desires after me to come or will come after me, let him deny himself. We've seen the the charge. Now let's take a look at the challenge. You say, whoa. That last part was quite the challenge. Me disowning myself and saying, no, that's hard. You're right. That's very hard. 
But Jesus Christ doesn't stop there. He goes on and he issues a challenge to them. And he says this in verse 34, he says, and take up his cross. If you were to go to Luke chapter 9, Jesus Christ, or Luke chapter 8, Jesus Christ says this, and take up his cross daily. May I ask you this question tonight as we're sitting here? Consider this in your mind. I'm not expecting an answer. But what does the cross mean in our culture today? When you see a cross in the settings that the world would recognize it, what does it mean to them today? You know, sometimes you'll see, see people wearing a cross. It could be uh, on a necklace. You might see people wearing it on a shirt. You might see them wearing it as earrings. You might even see people who would get it tattoo on their arm or something like that of a cross. And they would say, oh, I'm taking up my cross as a way to identify with Christ. Some people say this, oh, all of us have our cross to bear. It's my job. It's my sickness. It's a relationship that I'm involved in. It's this tragedy or this suffering that I'm having in my life. They, they refer to this cross as a burden that they have to bear. They might take a look at a cross and they might see it as, as something that is a memorial whether it is on the roadside where somebody perhaps lost their life or whether it is a, in a cemetery somewhere, they have a cross and it's a memorial of something. Some people just use it as a decoration. They'll hang a cross up somewhere as, a, as something to be ornate or to decorate something. And that's a typical representation of what a cross is about today. But we have to step back and we have to say, well, that's what a cross means today. What did a cross represent and mean when Jesus issued this challenge? Well, if we were to really understand that and go back to, we would have to understand that a cross, as people would see this, it was not something that was ever viewed as or used as an ornament. It wasn't a decoration. They would not have wanted to be walking around with the earrings. Now, listen, if you have those things, I'm not saying it's wrong for you to wear those today, okay? Please understand what I'm saying. But, but if we're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, we have to understand when Jesus Christ says, take up our cross, what is he talking about? Well, first of all, a cross meant that you were guilty of some sort of a crime. People were not just carrying crosses around and putting them up as decorations. When you were facing a cross or you had a cross that you had to bear, it meant that you came before the Roman government and you had rebelled against them and they said, you want to know something? We're going to use you as an example so that no one else will do this again. You've been declared guilty. Let's put you on a cross. And so it was something that people would have identified with as, this means that I am guilty. They were deemed despised, rejected, doomed, worthy of ridicule, and even deserving of death. As I was going through and studying this, there were several uh, mentions of, the, of a truth that uh, before they would begin to go through the, what they call the death march, they would be scourged and paraded they would be beaten, and they would have to carry their cross beam to a place of crucifixion. Many of you are familiar with the story of Jesus Christ. That's what a cross was all about. Shame, embarrassment, uh, being deemed guilty, being doomed, worthy of ridicule, and leading to death. In fact, the death march began with the command, pick up your cross. Wow. Here's this huge group of people who is hearing what Jesus is saying. And he's saying, you want to know something? If you want to come after me, 
You've got to take up your cross. You mean like that guy would who's going to be taken and who's going to be crucified? That's what I have to do if I'm going to choose to come after you? If that's the choice that I'm going to make? Boy, I don't know. I'm a pretty big fan of you, but I don't know if I'm willing to be a follower and a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so he issues the choice. He issues this, this, uh, this charge to deny self and to take up our cross. And so what does that have to do with us today? Well, here are a couple of things, I think, in ways that we can apply this to our lives today. It means that we need to be willing to accept the death of self. You remember what Paul says in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20? He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Why? Because he was willing to participate in that death march and take up his cross. And he was willing to identify with Christ, that Christ was his life. It means we need to be willing to accept rejection by others. We need to be willing to accept the ridicule, the mocking, the fun that is made of us. As we were starting out in evangelism, and even still today, when we are at home, I will, have, I will work some part-time jobs to, to help make sure that our bills and things are covered. But one of the jobs that I did is I worked at a, at a salvage yard. I grew up in a family of what I call blockheads. Uh, we enjoyed working on cars and motors and, and those kind of things. And so uh, there was a friend of mine who had this salvage yard, and uh, they offered me a job. And so I went and I started working for them. And one of the jobs that I had to do is uh, there were some people who would come in because they needed some quick cash, they would take a car that any one of you as college students would probably love to have. They'd bring it across the scale. We would give them scrap prices for it. And then we would sell them as a salvaged car. And so my responsibility was to go through and to make sure that the brakes were good, the tires were good. We could buy parts for those, you know, and fix them up and and make sure that they were running. And then we would turn around and we would sell them as salvaged automobiles. And as I was working there at the salvage yard, every one of the guys who were there, they knew what I did. They knew that I was a, a preacher. There was an 18, 19-year-old guy that was there, and I, I would readily admit this. I would ask guys for help. I'd be like, hey, you want to know something? I don't understand this about this car. Can you explain this to me? And they would come in, and oftentimes it seemed like it was this 18, 19-year-old guy who was the closest, and I would have to ask him the questions about these cars. And, and oftentimes he would refer to me to my face as well as behind my back as the stupid preacher. One day a car came in. And as we were, as I began to look through that car, I began to take things out, you know, things that uh, were trash and began to clean it out a little bit. I popped the trunk, and as I opened up the trunk, there were two books that were in there. One book, I have no idea what it was about, I just threw it in the trash. But then I opened up, uh, then I grabbed the second book, and it was a New Testament and Psalms. And I took it over to the workbench, and I set it down on the workbench, and this 18, 19-year-old kid came through, and he said, hey, what's this, this New Testament and Passal? How do you say that word? And I got to be real honest with you, it was real hard for me to bite my tongue and say, hey, who's the stupid one now? But I didn't. I said, that's called the New Testament in Psalms. Oh, yeah, what's it all about? Well, why don't you take it home? Why don't you read it? And uh, it'll tell you about who Jesus Christ is and what he did for you and what he did for me and why I do what I do and, and how he's changed my life. The book stayed there until the end of the day. I gave it to this younger guy's dad. He worked there. And uh, his dad eventually ended up reading it. To the best of my knowledge, he's not trusted Christ yet. But, but uh, you want to know something? You're going to face some ridicule, young person. 
If you're going to be willing to identify with Jesus Christ, you've got to be willing to accept the fact that you're going to be rejected by those who choose not to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. But I mentioned this in Luke. It says this, that we need to take up our cross daily. This is not a a one-and-done decision. This is a daily decision that we need to make in our lives. And it needs to be accepted intentionally. The idea there is take it up immediately, intentionally, without hesitation. But know this, there's going to be a cost. Whether it is rejection from others, whether it is rejection even from family, understanding what a cross means, and it is something that needs to be accepted personally. He says in our text, he says, and take up his cross. That different struggles will come as you identify as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And in this sense, yes, your cross might be a little different than mine. You may never end up working at a salvage yard having someone call you a stupid preacher. But you might go into some form or fashion of, of, uh, of what uh, people, of a job that people would have where they would ridicule and belittle you because you would have to, or because you choose to identify with Christ. Don't compare your cross with others. Be simply willing to carry your cross as you choose to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You see, disciples of Jesus Christ live drastically different because they're willing to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So we see the the challenge that is issued, and it is to take up our cross daily. But we're not done with the, the disciplines that Jesus Christ is speaking of. There's one more. He says at the end of the verse, he says, and follow me. I call this the chase. The chase. Because that word follow carries the idea of not just obedience, there's more passion to it. It's the idea of pursuing something. Where you have this longing and desire to have it, you want it, and so you pursue it. Some of you, you might recognize it this way, it's the idea of someone who is tracking something. See, I almost like a picture of a bloodhound who once they are on the scent, they keep that scent and they are not going to let anything or anyone distract them until they get to the place where they find the source of that scent. They're tracking after it. They're not easily deterred, not easily distracted. They're on a mission. And young person, I would propose to you that if we are going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, according to this passage of Scripture, we have to be in an all-out passionate chase after Jesus Christ. To know Him better, that's going to be demonstrated by two ways, I think. First of all, it's going to be demonstrated by our love for Christ. In John chapter 14 and verse 15, Jesus Christ says this. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. We can talk about loving God all that we want, but it's only as we live in obedience to God's word and we keep his commandments and we follow after him and we demonstrate our love for him through obedience that is going to demonstrate our love for Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14, the apostle Paul says, the love of Christ constraineth me. The great love that Christ had for him, I think also the great love that Paul had for Christ. And what Christ had accomplished in his life. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, we're told to love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not or cannot be in him. And so, young person, I ask you, what does your love show you're chasing after? Are you chasing after that career? Are you chasing after that person? 
Are you chasing after that possession, that passion, that hobby? Are you chasing after that image that you want everyone to see you as? You need to be willing to deny yourself, disown yourself of that, accept the challenge to take up your cross and get in an all-out pursuit and passion of Jesus Christ. It will be demonstrated by what we love, but it's also demonstrated by our loyalties. How loyal we are to God. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21, Paul writes these words. He says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a statement of passion. If you're willing to not only live for something, but die for something, that's a passionate statement. And Paul says, I am following, pursuing, I am going after Jesus Christ. I'm on a mission for me to live. It's all about Christ. He goes on in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8 and says that I may win Christ. He didn't want to stop short of the finish line. He wanted to reach the goal of knowing Christ. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, just two verses later, he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. He said, I am pursuing after Christ. Philippians 3 and verse 14, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. And person, I ask you to consider tonight, do, our lo- do your loves and your loyalties point people to Christ? Our loves and our loyalties are going to identify to whom or to what we are going to be a disciple of. So here in this passage of Scripture, and we could go on and look at the other verses that are here, but boy, i got to tell you, when I got to these verses and began to study them, I began to realize, you want to know something? I've got a lot of work to do in my life if I'm going to take up the dare to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. See, God's not looking just for mere fans. I've heard that a lot. I'm a big fan of Jesus Christ. In fact, I just heard that uh, a few weeks ago. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Jesus Christ. I wanted to look at him and say this. God doesn't want fans. He wants disciples. He wants followers of Jesus Christ. Because there's a lot of fair-weather fans that are out there. But Jesus Christ, in this passage of Scripture, was looking at a large crowd saying, you want to know something? I'm not interested in fair-weather fans. I'm looking for dedicated followers of me. As you begin this new school year, you begin this semester, I'm going to issue a challenge. And this challenge isn't really something that's issued from me. It's a challenge that is coming from Jesus Christ. He says, if you're going to really follow after me, make the choice to be one of my disciples... I encourage you to come after me. Determine your desire tonight, young person. What is your desire? Are you here just to get a degree, just to be able to be prepared for a job and make money, or are you here to really be a disciple of Jesus Christ? He goes on and says you need to deny self, or we could put it this way, relinquish your rights. Disown yourself. It's not about me. It's not about you. It needs to be about Jesus Christ. Take up your cross. Claim your cross. When you take that stand to be a genuine follower and disciple of Jesus Christ, I can guarantee you at some point in time there's going to be some cost to it. But realize this, if we are following after God and or Jesus and faithfully following and pursuing him, we won't be able to be distracted by that discouragement. We'll continue to follow him. These are the disciplines of a disciple of Jesus Christ. This is a sobering, challenging message. And I realize that there are some who you are already in to the throes of this. 
you are already making these choices. I hope this will be an encouragement to you. I hope that you will be encouraged to continue to go on to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Regardless of whether you need to make the choice to begin that, of being a disciple of Jesus Christ, stop being just a fair-weather fan and following Him fully, or whether you're seeking to already do that, young person, I want to encourage you to exercise the disciplines of a disciple of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. Lord, this is a very sobering and, to be quite honest, a difficult message to preach because in each of these disciplines that we look at, there are times of struggle and failure that we go through. And some who are sitting in this congregation tonight, they have experienced that and they need the encouragement to continue to go on and do that. Use this in their lives tonight. Mother, for some, they've never even really considered what does it mean if I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. They may be genuinely saved, but to be a disciple, a follower, someone who is going to take up this challenge following you, they haven't quite made that decision. God, I ask that you would do a work in their hearts. In just a few minutes, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I'm going to ask Mr. Ledgerwood to play through a song of invitation. And as he does, young person, I'm going to ask you if you're going to be willing to ask God to give you the courage to take the dare, to seek to live out daily the disciplines of a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, can I tell you this? I'm not up here presenting this to you as someone who has mastered all of these. We could sit down and talk, and I can tell you different times where where God has provided the grace, and this was something that God got me through some difficult times, but I can also tell you there are some times, ashamedly, where I was not the disciple of Jesus Christ that I ought to be. But I hope... If you are sitting here tonight, there is that desire to be the disciple of Jesus Christ. And I hope tonight that each of us would be willing to say, as the songwriter put it, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have that desire to follow after him. Make that choice. Realize there's a challenge that's going to come. There's a charge that comes with it. And we have to be willing to chase after Jesus Christ. You're sitting here tonight, and you would say, you know, as you were preaching tonight, God really challenged me about being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Coming in here tonight, I would have said that I was a fan of Jesus Christ. It's kind of something acceptable in some of the circles that I run in, and and I kind of fear and try to stay away from those places where it might cost me something. But but tonight, God challenged me. I, I need to stop just being a fan of Jesus Christ. I need to make that choice of being a follower of Jesus Christ tonight. I'd like to pray for you. You're here tonight and you say, God spoke to me in a specific way and I have not been following Jesus Christ in the way that I ought to. I've not been making those choices of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Would you pray for me? Would you slip up your hand tonight? Again, I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you, but I would like to be able to pray for you. Good, I see several hands all across the room in each section. Good, you may put those hands down. Maybe you're here tonight and you would say, you know, as you were preaching tonight, I wouldn't say that I was a fan. I've been trying to follow Jesus Christ with a, with a desire to have love and loyalties to him. And, 
And God really used this message to touch on a specific area of my life, not just a general area, but a specific area of my life that even though I've been trying to pursue Christ, I see that this is an area that I've been lacking in. God spoke to my heart about that tonight. Would you slip up your hand tonight? You didn't already raise your hand, but others. Say, you know, I've been in that pursuit of who Jesus Christ is, and I want to be a follower of him, but boy, there's a specific area of struggle that God pointed out in my life. Good, you may put those hands down. Before we close, I think it would be a mistake if I were not to ask this. Maybe you are here tonight, and as we have asked last night, you're here tonight and you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You want to know something? Hearing this can discourage you from trusting Christ. You know, there were a lot of people who, after Jesus Christ issued this statement, they went away. They didn't want anything to do with it. Why? Why would someone make that choice to trust Jesus Christ. It's because they understand the great love of God, the great sacrifice that was made, the great debt that was paid for my sin and for your sin through Jesus Christ. And tonight, God is offering something that you will find nowhere else. He's offering you the gift of eternal life. So as you were preaching tonight, God reminded me, God has been working on my heart And I'm not sure that I'm saved. Or maybe you know that you're not saved, and that concerns you tonight. Again, I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you, but I would like to pray for you. Say, I'm not sure that I'm saved tonight, and that concerns me. Would you slip up your hand tonight? Anyone at all? Just not sure that I'm saved. Would you pray for me? My prayer will not save you, but boy, I'm going to pray that God would give you the courage to speak to someone. Would you pray for me? Father, we thank you again for your word, how it instructs us, how it, in te- how it teaches us, how it gives us truth. Lord, I pray that you take my feeble efforts to explain these truths and that you would use them in the lives of these who we're hearing. Lord, I ask that you would give us the courage to make that choice to be a disciple of you, to follow you. God, I pray that we would be willing to practice these disciplines of a disciple of Jesus Christ. Again, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I'm going to ask Mr. Ledgerwood, if he would, to begin to play through a song of invitation. It's a song, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. And maybe you're here tonight. You raised your hand earlier. Could I encourage you? Would you be willing to, perhaps, there in your chair, maybe you would like to come forward. Maybe you'd like to talk to someone in the back. Uh, There are faculty and staff members, both in the front and in the back, We would love to be able to pray with you, encourage you, talk with you about this decision that you're making. Some of you raised your hand, said, you want to know something? I need to stop being a fan. I need to be a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. Could I encourage you to let this time be a time of challenge, but also a time of decision? You're going to decide. You're going to have a conversation with God. You're going to be willing to share with him your desire to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You're going to make that choice. And knowing the disciplines, you're going to be willing to accept those as well. I'll give you an opportunity to respond. If you are a believer, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, we'd love to talk with you. We'll take you to the Scriptures and show you how you can know for sure that you're saved.
Father, we thank you for the opportunity again that we've been able to gather together tonight. Where there were hands that were raised, beyond that, I don't know the other decisions that have been made tonight, whether there were some conversations taking place in chairs throughout this building or not. Father, we leave the results with you, and we give you the glory for not only what you are accomplishing tonight, but how you will take those who are making the choice to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, and as they seek to daily live that out, we give you the glory for what you're going to accomplish in their lives. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of being able to make that choice to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We thank you for making it possible for us to have a relationship with you through Jesus Christ. Lord, I again ask that if there is a student here who has not trusted Jesus Christ, that they'd be willing to speak to someone before it's eternally too late, that they would make sure that they're saved. Father, we love you. We thank you again for the privilege of being able to look into your word together tonight. We ask for your blessing now as we are dismissed. And we ask that you'd be glorified as a result of our time together, even after the service. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.